the roadblocks that we put in front of ourselves more often than not are the roadblocks that we put there. They're not just roadblocks that we come across and they're not roadblocks we can't overcome. We just have to choose to go around them, to go over them, or to go through them. And it may not look like you expect it to look on the other side. But that's okay, too. Where are the answers I see? Where are the hopes I need? Answer this for me. Help me. Hey everybody, welcome to the Plain Ordinary Dragon Podcast. If you've been here before, welcome back. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. As you've heard me say so many times before, time is the most precious resource any of us have. And the fact that you're willing to spend some of yours with us is really humbling and we really appreciate it. And I never take it for granted and I want you to know that. Now today is a new season of the Plain Ordinary Dragon Podcast. This is season three. How crazy is that? We've been doing this for over a year now. We've gotten over 70 episodes out and it's really been able to be impactful for some people. And so I hope, it, I hope, you know, that's my, my one hope with this show is to be able to provide you with value in ways that you can apply directly to your life. And that's kind of what the story today is about. At the end of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit more in regards to how the story is relevant and why. But for right now, let me offer some context. Let's start by talking about something I learned years before I got in to the information technology field. I was talking with a friend of mine and she was working at this recruiting company. Now, for those of you who don't know, these were recruiters that were, they, they tagged themselves as high-tech headhunters. This is the mid-90s. This is before the information technology revolution became part of everyday life. It was a very different time. And this was kind of bleeding edge for recruiters because everybody didn't really know how to make heads or tails of this information technology piece. They didn't have the, you, know, you could get a computer science degree, but you couldn't get like an MIS degree, things like that. So it was a very emerging field. I was privileged to be able to work there. I, I had never had any experience going into it, but I could talk fairly well. I had fairly good communication skills at the time. And so I sat down with the owner of the company at the prompting of one of my friends who already worked there. And we talked and I interviewed and he said, you know, I don't know whether or not you'll be successful as a recruiter, but you have a lot of the tools for it. So what I'll be willing to do is take you on here and we'll do some training. I will teach you how to talk like you need to talk and so forth. And I will, I will teach you some skills so that you can do this job and then we'll see whether or not you can be successful with it. Okay. It was something I'd never done. It was interesting. And we were talking about uh, something that could turn into a career. And at the time I didn't have anything that I was really on track for. So I did, I, I took this job and in the first week of training, and that's what he did. He sat me down and trained me personally, one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I, let me just say, I'm so thankful for being given the opportunity because I learned so very much from that job, from that position. If I hadn't done that, I'm not sure how long it would have taken me to understand certain concepts and things. But because I took that opportunity and I was there, I learned some things. Well, one of the conversations that has always stuck with me since, uh, since that very first training week 
was people being hired for jobs that they didn't know how to do. Yes, you heard you heard me say that right. People get hired for jobs they don't know how to do. And that was a really crazy concept to me. Like I understood there are certain jobs where you don't really make a career out of it most of the time. Sometimes you do, but like my very first job was a cave guide. I took people through uh, caves in Northwest Arkansas and they were commercial caves. And so it was, it was, I was a tour guide basically in a cave. That was one of my very first jobs. And of course, you, nobody goes to school to learn how to do that. That's an on the job training sort of thing because it's basically temporary labor and so forth. There's a lot to it, but nonetheless. So you don't usually make a career out of being a cave guide unless maybe you own the cave or there is some monetary reason why you would do that. Same thing with, with most of our, what we would call, you know, general labor type of jobs where you get paid minimum wage and so forth. There isn't a lot of schooling ahead of that, but this was different. This was going to professionals and trying to match them up with companies. These are people who I thought knew what they were doing. It was just this foreign concept to me because in my brain at the time, I thought professionals have a track record. They do this. This is what a professional, I'm a professional in this. I do X. That's the way I thought it worked, but it doesn't always work that way. In fact, a lot of the times it doesn't work that way at all, but I didn't understand that. And I, and I remember John telling me, uh, John O'Keefe was the creator and owner of O'Keefe and Associates, the high tech headhunters. And John said, you got to be careful because you want to make sure you have the right match. You don't want somebody to get hired for something they don't know how to do. And I was dumbfounded and I said, well, wait a minute, does that happen? And he said, yes, all the time. I said, all the time? He said, yeah. I said, well, how does that happen? I don't understand that. Why would somebody who's you know, a network administrator decide that they're going to be a Linux administrator and take that job when they don't know how to do it? And that was when he explained to me that there's a lot of overlap in professional jobs. And one of the overlaps, like in that particular case, he told me about a time where they had matched up somebody who was a network administrator and he took a Linux administrator job. Now, for those of you who are technology people, there will be uh, a lot of technology that we talk about in this show, uh, but it will all, I will narrate it all to the point where it doesn't seem as techy, if you will. So just the fact that you don't know the difference between Linux and uh, another operating system doesn't really matter here. All you really need to know is that there are some similarities. The operating system that network admins used to, on their switches to configure things is a base of what they call a Unix operating system, and it's just a variant of that. Well, Linux is a variant of Unix as well in some respects. So it was easy for the network administrator to think, oh, maybe I could be a Linux administrator because I know some about it. And the personality match was so good between the employee and the, the company. They said, okay, yeah, let's just do this. Well, and then six months later, the guy quit because he wasn't really a Linux admin. He didn't really, that wasn't where his passion was. It just wasn't a good fit technically, even though it was a great fit in the personality area. I was dumbfounded. He was like, yeah, people, people take jobs all the time, not knowing how to do the job. I couldn't believe it. And, and I, I asked him, I was like, who would take a job not knowing how to do it? That's the context. Here's the answer. I am. Let's talk about it. In the late 1990s, I had decided I decided what I was going to do with my life. Took me a long time. Didn't know where I was going to go. Didn't know what I was going to do. I was great at taking opportunities in front of me and making them work, but what was I going to do with my life? I was in my early 20s, 
hadn't really done a whole lot in school. Like I, I finished high school in, and that's a whole different story, but I did graduate high school and I took some college. I had decided at this point in the late nineties that I was going to be a music major. So I went to a community college to get all my prerequisites out of the way while I was getting ready to go to, I don't know, USC or Berkeley or wherever it was that I was going to go. So I'm going to school full time, but you know, Hey, students need to make a living. And so one of my friends came to me and said, Hey man, how would you like to cut your hair? And I told him some very explicit things that he could do to himself. And he said, okay, no worries. I'll tell him you don't want the job. And I was like, wait, what now to be fair, my friend had just scored a job with the Department of Education, basically, in the state, and he was doing pretty well. Uh, it, at least from the perspective at that time, I thought it was pretty good money. And so the opportunity rod, I guess, the opportunity beeper, my radar went off, and I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? I tell him you don't want the job because I knew it was a good job and I could really use the money. So I, I asked about it and he said, look, we're, we're looking for somebody that we can hire and train how to do this. Uh, I think you'd be great at it. And I was like, but you don't understand, man. I, I can check my hotmail. I can play around on the IRC channels. That's internet relay chat, the predecessor to instant messaging, if you will. I can do that, but I mean, really, I can't, I don't know anything about computers, not really the first thing. And he said, don't worry, I think you'd be great at it. So I went in and interviewed and I got the job. Then they said, well, we need somebody full time. So we'll work with your school schedule, but your other job, I had a job at a radio station. Seems like a good place for a musician, right? And so I had to let that one go or I'd let the computer job go. And I thought, well, you know what? The computer job will always be something I can fall back on if I have to. I don't have to do it for the rest of my life, but the skills that I learned here could be applicable for a long time. So maybe I should, maybe I should get into that and let the radio station thing go. There may be another opportunity later. So I did. I got hired. I cut my hair and I did pretty well. I was paid pretty meagerly my first year, but then I got a contract the following year. And that contract, get this, that contract was for $17,500 a year. Yeah. And that was a lot more money than I had made in my entire life on a yearly basis until that point. Yeah, exactly. I didn't make a lot of money, never had. And so seventeen five, even though it wasn't as much as I had hoped for, seemed like a pretty good contract. So I went ahead and I took the contract in that following year. Now, here's where everything becomes interesting. I had not I had started in September-ish of I think it was nineteen ninety-eight. And then in nineteen ninety-nine I was offered a contract, and that contract was for seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. The money comes into play, you'll see why later. And so I took that contract and I worked at, uh, I worked at, at the facility there. It was an educational facility. I cut my teeth in the K through 12 educational ranks in IT. We did a little bit of everything for everybody. But once a year, we had a big get together in Hot Springs, Arkansas. It was called the Hot Springs Institute of Technology. And what it was is we all gathered at the Hot Springs High School and people gave different presentations on things. It was the first place I ever got to see a high def TV and it blew my mind. You know, and this, this was back when flat screen plasma TVs, you know, 40 inches. Oh my goodness. You know, they were like 10 grand back then. You know, this was that time in information technology. 
Well, my boss, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, was getting ready to leave the co-op that I worked for. I worked for a state co-op that was run by Arkansas Department of Education. And he was getting ready to leave due to some tension and some other interesting political things that were going on. Anyway, my boss was an interesting guy, and uh, he was very, very focused on making sure that his guys were taken care of. And he knew that he was getting ready to leave. He knew he was getting ready to exit. And the only way to truly protect us and help us was to help us all find new jobs because he thought there was going to be some interesting drama go down, and he was right. And it did. And it was later. But here is what he did for us. Because Hot Springs was his stomping ground, he brought in different technology directors to interview us for any possible positions they might have. Now, we were already presenting down at the Hot Springs Technology uh, Institute. Uh, Institute of Technology. We were already presenters, myself, uh, some other buddies. We were we were doing classes to try to help educate teachers in regards to different technology things that might be helpful for them. So we had just finished uh, one of our presentations, and our boss brought us all into this room with a technology director. Now, I was familiar with the technology director because they had placed an ad in the paper. Um, it really wasn't a paper. We Back then, we had these things called listservs, which were email lists. And I was part of the one for education. And they had posted that they had a systems administrator position open there at that school. And I had applied for it, and I had never heard anything. So when they brought us all into the room... I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because I had never even heard back. I didn't even get a, an email back saying, sorry, the position's filled or anything. It was just like it went into this black hole and nobody ever contacted me back. And I always felt that that was very unprofessional for anyone, not just in this situation, but in any situation. Uh, I think communication is key, even if you're having to give bad news. Anyway, that all being said, I ended up in this room and I asked the technology director, uh, I said, you know, hey, um, Look, I I don't know, but what is your environment like? And they said, well, let, let us tell you a little bit about the position and so forth. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I know about that position because I saw it listed on the listserv uh, because by law they had to put it on the listserv. Uh, whether or not they were going to hire or they already had somebody, they had to put it by law in that listserv. And I said, and you all never got back to me, so I figured you had it. I figure you pretty much had it all sewn up. And they said, yeah, well, what happened was is the person that we had planned to give this to decided to go a different direction. And now we're caught and we need to hire somebody. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, let's see. Tell me a little bit about your environment. And so they told me a little bit about their environment. Because that's one of the key things. It doesn't matter where you go. You've got to get the right fit, right? And you've got to make sure that you have the whole picture as best you can so that you know what you're stepping into for multiple reasons. One is, you know, what kind of value can you bring in that particular situation? But also, what particular value do they bring to you? Where, what can you learn? What are your skill sets? How is that going to be better? So... All this to say, they told me about their environment. They had gone from an operating system called uh, Novell, which some of you may remember that one. And then they were moved, They had moved to uh, what they called the Windows NT4 environment. And they were getting ready to go to a new Windows environment, Windows 2000, I think it was. So this is in uh, 1999. I'm getting ready for a new contract at the co-op. And I'm talking with these people about this. I say, well, look, I'm a Novell guy, which I was, I, and I really didn't understand much about Windows at the time. 
from a server or an enterprise perspective. From a PC perspective, I understood it pretty well. Now, the thing was is that I was a Novell guy. So when they told me, hey, we're doing all this Windows stuff, I said, look, I'm not the right fit for you because that's that's not where I think everything's going and I'm more specialized in this Novell stuff. Now, I, and I said that after not even being in the industry for two years, folks. I didn't understand anything about information technology really when I stepped into the role at the co-op. But not even two years later, I'm already specializing in this operating system, this network operating system called Novell, and was kind of sh uh, shunning Windows. I gravitated more towards Linux and Novell and things like that. And other friends and coworkers gravitated to other directions. So one of my buddies there, he was really big on the Windows environment. And so I just told him straight up, I said, look, I'm not the right guy for this. I'm happy to sit here and listen to you talk and tell, tell us, you know, about your environment and so forth. And I'm sure you have a really great school district. Uh, and it might even be a great stepping stone for me, but I, I don't feel like I'm the right guy for this. Uh, you need to talk to so-and-so. We were all in the same room. So they talked for about 30 minutes and then we all kind of left and I fully expected them to call my buddy. Now the buddy that they were calling was the same individual who had gotten me the job at the co-op. And so I was really pulling for him to get this position because I thought it would be really a great fit. So this was one week in June, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was towards the end of June in that year. And we all left the the big party that is the Hot Springs uh, Institute of Technology, and we all went back to our jobs the next week. Well, on Thursday of the following week, I was cleaning up the shop and getting ready because on Friday I was going to leave. I was going on vacation, my first real vacation in a long time. I was going up to Wisconsin to see a friend of mine. And I, at the time, my whole focus, my whole focus was I'm going to go up to Wisconsin and hang out with my buddy up there who is, you know, in the motel industry and I'm going to eat chicken wings and drink, you know, beer. And I'm going to have just a blast me and him hanging out. You know, we're going to ride some motorcycles together. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be a good time. I'm excited. That was where my, that's where my, my headspace was at the time. And so I answered the phone at the co-op and it was just weirdly kismet. Really? I answered the phone and it was a technology director from this school district. And they said, Oh, Hey Elliot, uh, I wanted to talk to you. And I said, Oh, okay. What about? And they said, Oh, well, we'd like for you to interview for this position. I was like, what? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're talking to Elliot. You need this person. And uh, I think you should, I think you should talk to them because they're, you know, that that's who you called for. And they said, no, no, we, we wanted to talk to you. Actually, uh, we, we want you to come in and interview. I said, Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you want to, to, uh, you know, have a, a well-rounded interviewing experience, but I'm, I'm a Novell guy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not what you're looking for. I don't think I am what you're looking for. So why don't I just get you this other guy? They went on to explain that they understood that and that they were going to interview the other individual. However, they wanted to interview me as well. I said, okay, well, look, I don't know why you are so interested in interviewing me, but thank you. I appreciate the interest. 
I'm getting ready to go on vacation. I'm leaving in the morning. I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to drink a lot of beer and I'm going to eat some chicken wings, a lot of them. And I'm going to be there for about a week and then I'll be back and then we can schedule something after that. Well, then the technology director said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, I need you to interview uh, as soon as possible because we have a contract deadline and we have to get whoever we're going to hire, we have to get them in before this date. And that, that won't work with the dates you're, you're giving me. Okay. Well, I don't know what I can help you with because I'm telling you, this is what I've got going on. This is where, this is what I can do. I mean, it's not really fair for you to ask me to give up some of my vacation just so that I can interview for a position that you're ultimately going to hire someone else for. And they said, we understand your perspective, but we really enjoyed talking with you the other day. And we would like to see if, if we could make it work, if we could, if there's a possibility. And of course I said, all right, okay, here's what I'll do. Here's what I'm willing to do for you. Then even against my better judgment, I will come in tomorrow. If you can interview me tomorrow at 9 a.m., I will be there at 9 a.m. We will do the interview, and then I'm going to go to Wisconsin, and I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to go enjoy my first real vacation of my professional career, if you will. I'll be happy to stop by on my way. Now, it wasn't really on my way. It was well out of my way, and it cost me a few hours in getting up to Wisconsin. But I went ahead and did it anyway. So the next morning, I already had everything packed, and I took off for the school district. Uh, ironically enough, I was trying to be early so that hopefully they would see me early so I could leave early. And then that way I would be ahead of the game some. So I was about 45 minutes early for the interview, which if you know me is not what normally happens. 15 minutes is usually about as early as I get anywhere before the time that it was scheduled for. So here's the interesting piece. I got there about 45 minutes early, except for I couldn't find the place. It didn't, it wasn't, this was before smartphones folks. So there was no Google maps to help you. There was Yahoo maps, but you, you didn't have it in a portable form. And so I think I had printed out Yahoo maps and I had the, the maps printed out, but everything was off and, and labeled incorrectly. And the reason was, is because they were doing so very much construction in that area. So the streets and things, even though they had the right names on them, sometimes they were pointing the wrong way and th there was a lot of weirdness. It took almost every bit of that 45 minutes to find where I needed to go. I called administration, I called people, I was like, how do I get here? And then they would have to give me directions like turn left at this and go down here. And then it, because the roads weren't really well marked in some respects. So I eventually got there little bit early I meet the technology director and say hey I'm, I'm here and they walk me around and show me a little bit of this uh, this school which is where I would be working as a systems administrator and they, they showed it to me and it was really nice it had a really nice big donor name attached to it there was a lot of money in the school a lot more money than any of the schools I had worked for previously and so it was apparent that they they were doing some things they could not have set this interview up in any more of an adversarial way than they did. And looking back, I understand why they did it. They did it because they like to see how people work under pressure. And that's a good thing sometimes. And I really enjoyed the interview format. But basically, they walked me around the school and then they took me back to a conference room. And in the conference room, they had one of those conference tables. Makes sense. And so all the people that I 
would in, be working with if I if I ended up with this job, all the people that I would be working with, they were sitting at the sides, the technology director, uh, the web development guy, the network guy, the, you know, the software uh, girl, all those people were sitting on the sides, but they set me at the head of the table. They put me at the head of the table and directly across from me on the other end of the table, on the other side, facing me straight on was a man, a towering man. He, the tick, he reminds me of the tick. If you've ever seen the tick, uh, with that huge, big smile and six foot four built like a brick outhouse. I mean, the guy was massive. He was intimidating physically. He had this big, beautiful smile and he was one of those take no prisoners kind of guys. Uh, and that was the vibe that he gave off. So what had happened here just to bring everybody up to speed that may not be up to speed is the team that I would be working with was not really asking me questions. They asked me a few things, uh, but for the most part, the reason I was in this quote unquote interview was to be grilled by the expert. Now, a little, little context on the expert so that everyone understands. The expert was the person who had fixed their network. They used to have a lot of problems printing, emailing, and it was all on this platform called Novell. As you know, I was a Novell guy. So they had moved from Novell to Windows NT4, different operating system, and it had solved a lot of their issues. And it was set up correctly, and they were having really good success with it. So first question out of this guy's mouth wasn't a, a simple thing. Like, I mean, it kind of was, but it was obvious that he was here to, to rattle me to ask me questions, to really delve into how much I understood my, my technological ability. And this is funny because remember, I've only been doing this less than two years. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. And I have tried desperately not to even be here to interview. So I wasn't a jerk in this, in this story. I wasn't being a jerk, but I, I was a little, I was a little, I had a chip on my shoulder because I didn't really want to be there. And I really just wanted to make sure that I, I was fair to them. I gave them what they were looking for and I was friendly. Uh, but at the same time, I was hoping that I would set up my buddy who was going to interview after me, uh, so that he could just take the job because that's really what I thought needed to happen. So the first question out of this man's mouth was, how would you define schema? And I thought about that for just a second. I looked at him and, and I said, incorrectly. And it was a really awkward moment in that room because I was being a hundred percent honest. I was, I was being a hundred percent honest. And he was like, how would you define it? And I said, incorrectly. Well, of course the people on either side kind of chuckled about that. They thought it was kind of funny. However, I don't think, uh, Mr. Tick at the end there, um, the, the comic book tick, by the way, if, for any of you who don't know, there's a comic and the comic is, is called the tick and, and he's a really big guy. And so that, that's what I was referring to. Not an actual tick for anybody that might be thinking that anyway. So, uh, so we'll call this guy, Michael. So Michael, uh, didn't seem amused with my cleverness or what I was thinking was clever. And there was an awkward moment of silence. And so eventually I broke that silence and I said, look, 
I can sit here and let you grill me all day long on different technical definitions. I'll get them all wrong because that's not how I work. I've never done that well. And so if you're looking for a, a technical definition about something, I can't, I can't give it to you. It's, I'm going to get it wrong every single time. So if that's what you're looking for, we might as well not do this because I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that for you. And so he was puzzled, a little taken back. And he looked at me and he said, okay, well, forgetting the technical jargon aside, how would you explain it to someone? And I said, oh, well, that's easy. A schema within a directory structure is how all the objects relate to each other. And there was this weird moment. And it was a really interesting moment because everybody on either side of the table understood exactly what that meant. They were like, ah. Oh, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. You could just see it in their eyes and so forth. And then there was an awkward silence. I guess you could say it was quiet after I said that. And then I looked directly at the individual who was grilling me. And I said, how would you define schema? And it kind of put him off a little bit. Like, I don't think he was expecting anyone to ask him a question. And so then he rattled off some long technical example of what what schema was and I don't think anybody really grasped you know what what that really meant but I know everybody understood exactly what I had said before they now understood how schema played in with directory services long story short too late uh, we finished up that interview there weren't very many more technical questions and there were a lot of smiles anyway. So we, we got done, we wrapped the interview up and I hit the road. I thanked them. They thanked me. And I went to Wisconsin to drink beer and eat chicken wings. Uh, this was pre pre plant-based for me. So I got up to Wisconsin. Sure enough, met up with my buddy, Sean. We had a good time, rode some motorcycles, ate <laughs> some wings, drank a lot of beer, a lot of craft beer, great beer up there in Wisconsin, by the way. Anyway, uh, and so on Tuesday morning, uh, I was checking my email. And now, <laughs> so you understand, this was long enough ago that it, it, email, other than like Hotmail and things like that, it, it was done. We did it through a program called Pine. You couldn't even, you didn't just bring up a web page and go check your email. You actually had to launch a, a, a command and then you have to tell it to it. And it was all text based instead of graphics based. And I'm checking my email on Tuesday morning and I get an, I have an email in my inbox and it's from the technology director offering me the position. I'm pretty well blown away at this. Like I, I don't understand it. This has been one of those things where I'm just not understanding over and over and over again, this whole process, because I, I keep trying to say, I'm not going to do this. And it keeps chasing me and it keeps chasing me and it keeps chasing me. And so I have this offer in my inbox and I, I just, I, I couldn't understand it. So I called my buddy and I said, dude, what happened with your interview yesterday? How, how could you, how did you blow this? You know, like I, like I have no idea how I'm getting an offer here. I've got an offer here. How, what happened? And he said, man, I couldn't find the place. What? I, I couldn't find the place. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find it. I was there hours early and I still couldn't find it. Oh, okay. Now, and this is how good my buddy was. I mean, he, he not only got me into the industry, he was a cheerleader for me. He was like, man, I'm so, I'm pumped. You got it, man. You've got to take that. And I just kept thinking, I don't understand what's happening here. 
long story short, I talked to my buddy and he was all good with me taking the job, said I needed to take it. Uh, and it, you know, it should have been a, a jump in pay. So, you know, I went back to the email and it was, it was a huge jump in pay to the, to the tune of about, I think it was 26,000 is, is what they offered me, which was a good chunk more than I expected where I was working to give me. And I, I hemmed and hawed about that. Like I, this whole thing was weird. So I called my friend who I, I had done the headhunting with. I, I called her and I said, look, I know from being a recruiter, from being a headhunter that you never take your first offer. Never, not in any way, shape or form, but they're giving me so much money. I don't know you know, so much money, $26,000 a year. They're giving me so much more money than I expected. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. What do you think? And she said to me, Elliot, take the money and run. Don't try to counter offer. Don't try to do anything different. They're giving you a good, you know, a good bump in pay and you're learning new skills, which are going to be ultimately as valuable as the money. So I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it at all. I would just take it, take the money and run. Now, I was early enough in my life that I really didn't like negotiations. I didn't care for the deal or getting deals done in the same way, shape or form as I do today. Today, I would relish the opportunity to wheel and deal in, in a manner like that. Back then, not so much. So I went ahead and I, I sent him an email back and I said, um, I'll tentatively accept this. I won't be back until this date uh, and so forth. Well, and of course, I got an email back that said, we need you back sooner because we've got to get this paperwork signed and so forth. So I ended up having to cut my vacation short. And then I went on to have a, a good three and a half, four year career at that, in, at that particular place. Now, that's all kind of interesting. But here, here's another piece to this. I didn't stop trying to not take that job because I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I was, I was not really an expert in anything at the time, but most of my experience had been around a completely different, completely different product. So how am I going to come in here and, and really do things? And they were doing a lot of really cutting edge stuff. This was 2000. They were putting in IP telephony, you know, uh, voice over IP VoIP, what they, you know, which is standard today. But at that time it was bleeding edge. And I used the word bleeding cause there was a lot of it. Uh, but we were, they were putting in Cisco VoIP. They were putting, they were collapsing a wide area network, making it a local area network. They were creating a data center with all of their different, um, main controllers. They were adding two new schools. 600 new PCs were coming online. The network was going to be about 5,000 users, which was a, a decent size for me at the time, especially. And so there was, there were all of these exciting things that were going on that were happening that were going to happen. And I didn't know how to do any of it really. I mean, like I had, I had cursory knowledge, but I was going to have to learn a lot and I was going to have to learn a lot really fast. So I went to go sign my contract and I started talking with the technology director. I saw we were walking to the administration building and I said, look, I, I know, I know this other guy. <laughs> it was another, another person I'd worked with at another place. I said, look, this other guy would be so much better than me. You should do yourself a favor and talk to him before we sign my contract because we don't want, you know, you, you want the best person in this guy. And, and the technology director looked at me and, and said, Elliot, I'm confident we made the right choice. And I said, really? And she looked at me and said, yes. So then we went to 
go and sign my contract. It was pretty unceremonious, but you still had to sign the contract. So I sat down with, with the technology director and the administration and I looked over the paperwork and I read it and I looked up at him and I, and I said to the technology director, I said, are you sure you've made the correct choice? And they looked at me and said, absolutely. We've made the correct choice. I said, okay, I'm about to sign this and anything after this, anything else that happens after this, it's your fault. And so I did sign the contract and away we went. And we had a pretty productive uh, few years. In fact, the first day I got to work, I'll never forget, they handed me a Mark Manassi book. This is a big 2000 page book that said Windows Server 2000. They handed it to me and said, read it because we're going to be doing all this stuff in two weeks. And then about three and a half, maybe four weeks later, as we were in the middle of all that, the guy who was doing the network administration piece, his father died in England and he had to leave. And so he did, he went and, and left to England and I had to work with one of the other guys there who uh, was far more knowledgeable than I was. I had to work with him to try to figure out how we're gonna do this network piece because the guy who has been planning it for six months is now in England. I had to learn how to do subnetting and I had to learn how to do things that to really understand some pieces that I had no idea about. And I wasn't even going to have to do when I took this job, that was all going to be somebody else. And if you've listened to the last three weeks uh, of, of our interviews, then you know that Eric Schulte was a, a good friend of mine. And I spent at least a day on the phone with him just trying to figure out subnetting at the time, which is how networks are broken up into smaller networks is all that really is. And there were days where I worked straight, three, four days straight uh, on things. And it was a time where I learned a lot. But I want to mention something here. I didn't know what I was doing. At my previous employer, I didn't know what I was doing either. Well, let's fast forward a few years. And, and I started working for a Fortune 500 company doing systems administration work. As interesting as that may seem, I had started working for a Fortune 500 company, really in the corporate world now. And my salary was up to around $50,000 a year at the time. Now, normally I, I don't get into money, but I want you to understand that somewhere along the way, I think it was when I started working for Fortune 500 corporations, I developed this mindset. That's the best way to describe it. I developed this thought process that said, I am worth six figures. And if you pay me what I'm worth, then you get every bit of my effort. But if you don't feel like I am worth what I feel like I'm worth, then you'll get a corresponding percentage of my best based on that. Now, I don't recommend you do this, but that was a thought process that I had. And it was a thought process that was toxic in a lot of ways. But I thought, well, you know what? And it all has to do with numbers and being inside my head. I thought, you know, $100,000 a year, you know, if I, if I make that kind of money, then you can have 100% of what I do, right? 100,000, 100%. 90,000, 90%, 50,000, 50% of what I can actually do. And that was something that I held with me. Now, let's put a pin in this right here and let's walk back to when I was a recruiter. Because when I was a recruiter, that was my first time when I was in the high tech head hunting industry, that was the first time that I became privy to salaries and what people made for corporate positions. Now, back then, a network administrator would make about $30,000 a year. 
give or take. There's a lot of variables in there, but about $30,000 a year. And when I was working as a headhunter for $1,500 a month plus whatever commission I could make, and I saw... I saw network administrators who at the time took some tests to get what's called an MCSE, Microsoft uh, certification, a Microsoft certified systems engineer is what that stands for. I, these people would take, you know, five or six tests and then they were worth $30,000 on the employment market. And I thought to myself at the time, man, $30,000, I would never have money problems again if I was making $30,000 a year. But the funny thing is, is that that's all a piece of, of what you think. It's all a function of what they call today mindset. You know, and mindset's a buzzword, but there is some reality behind why it's used. So here I am as a headhunter, and I'm thinking, man, $30,000 a year, I'd be set for life. Without really realizing what I was doing, I subconsciously set goals for myself to do things, to accomplish things. I didn't sit down and write a goals list. I just looked for opportunities and I took the opportunities and here I am a number of years later and I make over six figures. You see, the funny thing is, is that I was going after a goal without even realizing I was going after a goal. The funny thing is, is that because I thought I was worth a certain percent, a certain amount of money, when I got to that point, when I, when I got there, I, I needed to move the goalposts. If I didn't, then I'd be pretty stagnant. It would just kind of be like, okay, I'm done. But I didn't. Now I branch out into other things. But here's the, here's the thing that's interesting about that. At one point, I thought $30,000 a year was an insurmountable goal. It was a perfect dream. And then when I got to that, I realized I'm worth more than this. And so I wanted more because I knew I was worth more. And so when I went to other Fortune 500 companies, I started making more money. And when I would move, I would make more money and I would make more money. And then one day I looked back and I went, huh, I now have to give people more than a hundred percent or I have to realize I'm worth more than this. See, that's kind of the funny piece to all of this, or at least one of the funny pieces is that we really are always worth more and more incrementally, not less and less. And we don't always get paid what our true value is. And we're not talking about your true value as a human. Nobody can afford that, right? Because your value, your intrinsic value as a human is way more than what your value is as, as a consultant or entrepreneur or worker or employee or any of those things. Your value as a human is priceless. Your value to provide a particular service is different. Right. So let's not all get all bent out of shape by saying, you know, charge what you're worth. It doesn't mean what you're worth as a human. It means what you're worth in this particular field based on your experience and so forth. But get this. When I left my job in the educational 
area and went and did some consulting stuff and then went and worked for a fortune 500 company and then went and worked for another fortune 500 company and then went and did some consulting work and then worked for another fortune 500 company. Guess what happened? I took that journey and along that journey, I hit a goalpost. It's not really a goalpost. It's more like a sign. It's kind of like if you're traveling down a, a road and you're looking at the map and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to stop here and spend the night. That's kind of what success goalposts are. Hey, I'm just going to stop here. Now, here, here are some interesting takeaways from my story. Here's what I see. I didn't know how to do any of this. I'm not college educated. I, I didn't even have any certificates until I, I worked for a Fortune 500 company that, that required us to go test. So I have four or five certificates in information technology, old ones now. But I never had any of that. I had some experience and I worked well with people and I did a good job. That's the best way to get rehired. I mean, just so you know, if, if you want to be able to always have work, then you need to be really great at what you're doing. You need to work really hard at what you're doing. You need to be above reproach in what you're doing. And the reason is, is because no one can say that you're a bad worker if you're a great one. No one can say you're not valuable if you don't, if you make yourself valuable. So the important thing to do is always make yourself as valuable as you can. And that doesn't always mean doing the most work. It means trying to figure out where you can most add value and do that. But here are some takeaways. I'm not a college educated individual from the perspective of, I don't have a degree from Yale. I don't have a degree from an Ivy League school. I don't have a degree from a community college. I don't have a degree at all. And in my lifetime, I've been able to work on a presidential campaign. I've been able to work for a Fortune 5, multiple Fortune 500 companies. I've been able to do consulting work. I've done a, a lot of interesting things that you wouldn't think somebody without a college education can do. But you can. It's not about the education. It's not necessarily even about knowing the job. It's about having enough confidence in yourself and enough enthusiasm to go ahead and reach out and try things you haven't done. That's what it's about. That's where you're going to find the gold is doing those things. I shifted gears. I was a systems administrator for a number of years. Uh, one of the positions I got was an infrastructure person. I was supporting infrastructure, not really doing systems administration stuff, but working with the hardware itself. And I remember one day in particular, I was on a data center floor and I was trying to replace a hardware piece and nothing was making sense. And I was faced with a moment right there because I had taken yet again, another job where I understood a lot of things, but I had no direct experience doing it. So I had to learn and there was a moment where I thought I'm going to have to quit. I, I have to quit. And that was a tough one because I had moved my whole family to another state. I was depending on that job. My wife was pregnant with our first child. It was, it was a crazy, crazy moment where I was like, I don't know how to do this. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm just done. And then I got out of my head and I talked myself down and I called people who I worked with and I said, I don't know. I don't understand. I can't figure this out. Can you please help me? And they said, yeah, absolutely. And then things got better. 
I had to learn a lot. I had to do a lot of work. I had to do a lot of work that really wasn't in the description of the job, but that's because I had to learn things. Now, why, why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this story? Because I want you to understand that the roadblocks that we put in front of ourselves more often than not are the roadblocks that we put there. They're not just roadblocks that we come across and they're not roadblocks we can't overcome. We just have to choose to go around them, to go over them, or to go through them. And it may not look like you expect it to look on the other side, but that's okay too. Because the journey is the reward. Again, no college education, no real education to speak of other than I like to learn about things. And yet I've been able to have a pretty, have a pretty solid career. And now I'm at one of those guideposts. Now I'm at one of those moments where I'm like, I, I deserve more than what I get now. But it took me a while to get there because I didn't realize when I was making $13,000 a year that I was worth seventeen five. And then at seventeen five, I didn't realize I was worth 26. And then when I got hired again, I had such a hard time understanding that I was really worth 48 or 50. You see, as time goes on, you begin to understand your worth more and more and more. And it's not just because that's the way it works in careers. It's because that's the way it works as you are able to pull more knowledge and understanding and ability to yourself and give it to other people. I know I'm worth more. And I hope you know you're worth more too. Now, why did I tell you all this story? Because I want you to be empowered. I want you to have the enthusiasm and confidence it takes to follow whatever journey it is you want to follow. You know, one of my friends, Emma Isaacs, who will be on this podcast in coming weeks, uh, she runs a design firm in the UK and she's a really fabulous person. I really enjoy Emma a lot. And one of the things that she says is that the road to success and the road to failure are the same road many times. I had a lot of failures on my road, a lot of them. But when we look back, it all looks like, hey, there's this magic moment, this magic, nothing, nothing that Elliot does fails. That's not true. Lots of things that I do fail, lots of them, because you can't have success without failure and success and failure. They're nothing more than just moments, slices of moments in time based on the journey to this point. They change as time goes on. So I want you to understand you can take a job, not knowing what you're doing. You can do that and you can be successful and you can turn it into a career. So if there's something that you don't know how to do and you're thinking, man, this is what I want to do. I want to try this. I want to go down that path, then do it. I'm not saying alter your entire world and, and quit your job today and go do what I am saying is, is that you have as much ability to do things as I do. The thing that separates you and me is nothing really. It, it, nothing at all. You can do the same things I can do. Maybe, maybe it's just that I 
chose opportunities that were in front of me and I was arrogant enough to think I could do them. And I strangely enough was right. And that's the power. That's the beauty of you, of, of us being able to choose our destiny in, in so many words, we're able to choose the path we walk down. We can't always choose the way the outcomes happen. I get that. But every, every outcome is a learning experience, failure or success and failure and success are just words that we made up to define a particular part of our journey. And ultimately our success is going to be our journey. Now, why did I say all that? Why did I decide to tell that story today? I'm going to tell you why right now as we wrap up. I know how to find a path and I know how to help people on that path. And I want you to know that if you're looking for a coach, if you're looking for someone to help you take those steps and go places that you haven't gone before, then come get some plain ordinary coaching. You can go to the website. There's a little link in the upper left-hand corner that says need help. You can click there. You can see what we offer and you can contact us directly and we'll be happy to work with you. But here's the thing I was thinking the other day and I was realizing after I told my wife this story, she was like, oh, that is, uh, that's a great story. You should tell that to your, to your audience so that they understand that you you are not this gifted person that that has, has just had everything thrown in your lap. You have done the right things. You have all of this experience to help people. And if they need a coach, you should let them know. And I thought, you're right. Now we've offered plain ordinary coaching for over a year now. We haven't had any takers and that that's fine. It's not there for me. It's there for you. If you want a coach and you might be thinking, well, why would I need a coach? I mean, you know, you didn't have one. No, I did. I've had several coaches over the years, personal development coaches. I've had sports coaches when I played sports and that's a good analogy. You know, you think Michael Phelps doesn't need a coach. He's the winningest swimmer in all of Olympic history, right? Does he have a coach? Yep. Does he have a mentor? Yep. All of them do. Why? Because you can't get better sometimes without someone who is outside of your mindset, outside of that bubble that is your brain. You know what always hangs me every single time, you know, where I always get into all my trouble is when I'm inside my head. When I have these things built up in my head, sometimes if I just say them out loud, if I just bring them out and say, Hey, blah, 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 blah. Then I hear it and I'm like, Oh, that, that, what? What? That doesn't even make any sense. Why? And before I said that, before I took the thoughts in my head and brought them into the world, birthed them, if you will, by saying them out loud, it never, it didn't make sense in my head or it made sense in my head. And, but when I said it out loud, then I was like, oh, that makes, why am I even thinking that? And that is why you need a coach. We've all had or seen people who've had these terrible, terrible relationships, right? Where the two people seem to dislike each other, but they stay together for some reason. I was, I was in a toxic relationship like that myself for 10 years, 
For 10 years, I dealt with that and I couldn't see outside that bubble. And everybody just kept telling me, why are you doing, why are you in this relationship? And I just kept saying, you don't understand. You don't understand when it's just us and you know, and there's all, but they did understand because they could see from outside of the bubble and I couldn't because I was stuck in it. When I got outside the bubble, oh man, getting rid of that relationship was the best thing that happened to me. I mean, the best thing because I couldn't see how toxic it was, but it really was. And that's why people need coaches so that they can see things so they can help them investigate so that they can help us find our best selves because, Hey, is there any journey that's not more fun with a friend? There isn't. And sometimes you need an unbiased, open and honest assessment of something. That is what a coach can do. They can say, look, I understand the way you're feeling and I get that. But have you considered this? What if what you're saying is complete bunk? What if you're stuck in your head? What if you just need a different way to look at things, a different perspective? And that's something that we can do here at Plain Ordinary Dragon. If you would like to have some plain ordinary coaching, please reach out. Please reach out and let us know. As you know, I don't plug things on the show generally. We don't have any sponsors or anything like this. But when I had that conversation with my wife the other day, she really kind of impressed on me that there might be people that could really, could really find value in having a coach and having, having us as a coach. So if it's something you're interested in, then please reach out. You can email us directly at planodragon at gmail.com. You can go to the website and use the contact form. There's a number of different things you can do. And if that's something that's interesting to you, please, please reach out. Uh, coaching tends to be pretty expensive and depending on the tier, I know some people that pay $25,000 a month for coaching and they have outrageous businesses. I know people that charge $50 a session. It, it just, it ranges all over. And the reason I bring that up is because if you want to have a coach and you want to stretch yourself, you want to do better, then it's going to cost something. It may not cost the world and maybe you can't afford a certain amount, but here you can, because we're going to make sure that you get taken care of as best we can in whatever methodology we have to use to help you get to be the person you want to be, if that's what you need, if that's what you want, if you desire it. I'm just opening this up and letting you know, hey, if you need, we're here for you. We're here for you in a lot of different ways. And I hope, I hope that the story today helped you realize what an amazing person you are. You can do so much and everything that you didn't know how to do that you do know how to do now, you started learning. You started without knowing how to do it. We all did. So it's kind of a fallacy that you can take a job that, you know, that you don't know how to do and that that's weird. It's not, we do it all the time, but a lot of times we just forget, oh, that's what we're capable of. So I want you to know what you're capable of. I want you to know that you might be plain and you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon and you can do amazing things. And we can't wait to hear your voice in this world that so badly needs it. We'll be waiting for you. 